Hi, everybody. I am Peter Travers. This is Popcorn, where I tell you what's happening at the movies. And there's a movie now called Blind Spotting. You have got to see this one. Uh, my guest today, David Diggs, uh, he's not only co-starring in it with uh, Rafael Casal, they both wrote this together. So welcome. Thank welcome you very you. much. I mean, I, it is an honor to be here, sir. Well, it's great to have you. Yeah, Look yeah. at you. From Hamilton, I was just realizing, you've closed in Hamilton. Like, what is it, Like, two about years two years ago, yeah. Somebody wow. sent me a text with uh, them taking a shout-out of my Grammy at, at, the, at my, like, cl- goodbye party a couple <laughs> days ago with a note that just said two years. Wow. Two years, and it's yeah. in it. It was like it was yesterday, wasn't yeah, it? A little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And also, I don't remember it that well. So. <laughs> really? So you couldn't just go go back there to the no, theater man. and jump on stage? No, kids be walking up to me on the street trying to do cabinet battles with me and I just have to be like, I don't, I don't, Sorry, you it's won. Sorry, it's over now. <laughs> I don't have that kind of space in my head. Well, it's good. You've moved on, but you've moved on to this movie, which is, we were talking a little bit before, uh, a very serious subject at the same time is hilarious, mm. you know? Yeah, that yeah. It's all those things. Thank but you. you set it up. Yeah, well, it's the it's the story of two lifelong friends growing up in Oakland, California. Um, Colin and Miles. Colin happens to be black. Miles happens to be white. Mm-hmm. But their context that is, can happen in Oakland. It happens. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> happens a lot of places. Mm-hmm. But they they grew up together. They might as well be siblings. Um, they're working as movers. And if you don't know about Oakland, it's like a lot of cities in the country where the, it's changing very rapidly right now. There are a lot of new people moving in. So it's a, it's a rapidly gentrifying city. And, and um, they work in the city as movers. On his way home one night, Colin, who is also on the last three days of his probation for a violent <laughs> crime, um, witnesses the police shooting of an unarmed black man. Uh, and the story is really of the next three days and how these stresses of... Uh, a changing context and the clock of probation ending sort of forced Colin and Miles to re-examine their friendship in ways even they have never had to before. But what happens in this movie, the two of you two, can communicate in regular conversation, mm-hmm. or you can just rap to each other. Yeah, you can yeah. freestyle yeah. with each other expressing those emotions. Yeah. And so it's the two of you, Raphael and you, decided that you were going to do this. When did that start that you Almost thought of this? a decade ago. Um, Jeez, it takes you guys forever to we, come it's out. It's very, it turns out making movies is hard. <laughs> but we, it was actually, um, we've been working with the, uh, I, I believe the only way a film like this gets made is if your financing producers are also creative producers. And we, <laughs> our, our producers, this was their idea. Jess Calder found Raphael via a, a YouTube Wormhole found a bunch of his poetry. He this is like 2007, 2008. He's posting poetry videos online. He's a very accomplished spoken word artist. Mm-hmm. Um, she sort of found him through there and and asked him, just hit him up in the in the DMs and asked him if he would uh, if he thought any of this kind of language could translate to film. He and I had been making music for a long time at that point already. He sort of shared this idea with me, and eventually we all met each other and decided the four of us would start working on an idea for a movie. So the prompt was, we knew it had to be in verse in some way or another. Some way, Right, because yeah. that was why we wanted to make a movie. That was the, the thing we knew how to do. We didn't know how to write a script yet. But, uh, <laughs> and for That's us... That's good. That's a good thing. I think so. It yeah. helped us in mm-hmm. this case. Um, it, we also, for us, knew we wanted it to be about the Bay Area and specifically about Oakland. 
um, as we were living there and starting to feel the, the changing demographics in a pretty palpable way. That was a big part of the conversation. Were you both born there? Or you... I was born there. Uh, mm-hmm. Raphael was, was raised in Berkeley, right yeah. next door, and, and then we both were living in Oakland at the time. Um, and we, both, we met at Berkeley High School. And um, then, uh, then, yeah, and right around that time, Oscar Grant was murdered at Fruitvale Bart Station. And so, um, and that was the conversation of the city. To, to do a film about Oakland meant this was part of the conversation we yeah. were having. And, and so that became our sort of inciting incident. Uh, but, yeah, and, and it was a process of, for many, many years, sort of checking in with the story and seeing, trying to figure out how Oakland had changed, how the t- conversation around some of these issues had changed and modernizing things. And, um, you know, it, there were a lot of fits and starts. It almost got made four or five times. And then the thing that happens with movies happens. And, it, it and would, then it has it to would be disappear. done yesterday. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. So, um, but now it finally happened. And I think, you know, the, the timing... Unfortunately, a lot of the themes that we were talking about 10 years ago that we sort of wish felt like a period piece are, are still equally relevant, if not more so. Yeah. It's interesting because you're dealing seriously in the movie with this uh, police violence reaction of this unarmed black man mm-hmm. being shot by a white cop. Yeah. But at the same time, there isn't the movie isn't basically pushing an I hate police agenda. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know that it adds anything to the conversation to make any easy villain. And also in the writing it, we don't believe, I don't, I don't believe that there are, that you don't suffer the consequences for killing somebody, even a police officer. I don't mm-hmm. believe that. So it's not, it's not our, the police officer's story. So we don't get much of his story, but Ethan Embry, who plays the officer, does such a wonderful job in the moments that we see him of <laughs> watching him also. He is the other person besides Colin who's been affected by this tragedy, mm-hmm. besides Colin and Randall, who's the person he shot, mm-hmm. right? There are really yeah. three people who are affected by this tragedy, the officer, Colin, and, and Randall. And so we, we, when we see Ethan performing this part, we get to see... His the, his week has been pretty rough as well, you know, in the moments that we see. Him. Well, he's coming apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what was you growing up there? What was your relationship with the cops? I, you know, I ran for the police athletic league, so I, I grew up with around wonderful police officers who um, really shout out to Coach Margaret Dixon and Coach Maurice Valentine, who okay. you know, are my were my old track coaches yeah. since I was nine years old. Um, and I ran track all the way through college and all the way, you know, after college a little bit. And uh, and they those guys went door to door to help raise money for me to go to college. You know, I mean, really genuine, caring people and have done the same thing for for countless numbers of kids. They're still coaching in Oakland. Like still there are still they just, you know, went to the Junior Olympics again with a huge group mm-hmm. of kids. The only way I ever traveled was for track meets. And that was all thanks to these police officers. Um, so I I. I don't have a problem with police officers. There is a problem in how people are policed, right? Um, it's systemic. well, it's a big. It's you got specifics, mm-hmm. and then you have the generality. Exactly. Because we live with that generality. We do, we do, and I think um, the issue is is complex, and it's and all of the issues are sort of woven together, right? In mm-hmm. cities that are that are changing. Um, the tendency of a city is to police for the people bringing in new income, right? <laughs> so Oakland is actually policed differently now than it used to be, you know? And so are a lot of cities because, um, and we look at things, you look at examples like a, 
like a barbecue Becky or any of these, th- you know, where, where police are being called on, on things that were routine activities in the neighborhood before, um, but an influx of new people who aren't, uh, who don't experience culture in the same way, consider them a nuisance. And then the, and now the police are forced to interact with that situation. Well, I mean, you're talking about the support that you got from those people, mm-hmm. but you, because you're black, had to have seen what happens about being stopped I, or about. Yeah. Look, I was, you know, in my early 20s, I was, I, there was a period of three years where I think I stopped counting after the 36th time I was pulled Jeez. over. You know what I'm saying? So uh, to the to the point where I was this is when I was doing plays in in the Bay Area, and I used mm-hmm. to factor in extra time to get to rehearsal just in case, <laughs> right? Which is not a thing a person should have to do, but it became no. so routine that it was like, well, I better leave myself at least thirty extra minutes in case I get pulled over because um, I can't be late for a curtain, you know. So I yes. can see you trying to explain that. Yeah. Listen, I have a curtain. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, I had to do it <laughs> once. It I was, I, I, I ended up running right on the stage after I was on my way to do a show at Marin Theater Company, and I got. They had to hold curtain for like three minutes for me. I got pulled over three blocks away from the thing. No ticket. No reason for pulling me over. Just you know, to, which is which was happened so often. Mm-hmm. And then I, and then by the time I finally got to theater, I was three minutes late. They had, had to hold the audience. <laughs> what do you do with that resentment? Where does it go? Uh, I, for me, I mean, it's, it's not a resentment of any person, right? It is a frustration and Mm -hmm. it is a hurdle that you have to deal with, right? And I think one of the things we try to, um, illustrate in the film is that really all of us, this isn't just black people, this is everybody, particularly in cities that are changing, like our, our dealing with trauma in one way or another, right? And our... Um, and they and they pile up and they become routine and we laugh and we still it's not like we walk all necessarily walk through life with our heads down and never laughing and, and are <laughs> frustrated, but these things add up and if and and we have this thread of sort of PTSD that we watch Colin go through that is amplified after he witnesses this shooting. That PTSD that he's feeling is is similar to a PTSD that almost everybody of color feels in this country. I think with the, with a certain knowledge that. Even if it's slight, your life is worth less than somebody else's for, by no doing of your own, mm-hmm. right? That creates a certain kind of of trauma and stress. And so we get to watch Colin kind of deal with this stress and unravel. And what's been so gratifying in the screenings are the few moments where um, we're in the theater together and you feel every single person in the theater rooting for Colin mm-hmm. and feeling what Colin is feeling. And Colin is a convicted felon on probation for a violent crime. Yeah. Right? So yes. like, and that's a, that's, that's kind of a beautiful shared experience moment where, um, everybody gets to be in his shoes a little bit, have a different, have a, a kind of empathy for a person that maybe they, they wouldn't necessarily before. And I believe is sort of, if we can do that in a movie, we can also do that in life. Right. I mean, it's, well, one would hope. Yeah. But we'll that kind of hatred, which exi- I mean, there's I don't want to spoil the movie, but mm-hmm. there's an incredibly intense scene yeah, yeah. between your character and this cop. Yeah. And it's um, every watching it mm-hmm. in a theater with somebody. Yeah, yeah. it's so, so quiet. It's very tense. Yeah, everybody yeah. <laughs> is dealing with this. What would I do in that situation? Because mm-hmm. feelings are spilling out. Right. Yeah, I think. Um so much of Colin's motivation in that moment is he just has to be heard 
in a real way and and that last you know the scene is in verse I don't mind spoiling that mm-hmm. and and the reason it is in verse is because um, and this comes from from my upbringing as a poet and the work I do with Youth Speaks mm-hmm. and the, the teaching that I've done. The reason you teach a kid uh, how, spoken word or how to write poetry is because actually no one cares what they have to say until they make it virtuosic, until they make it sound pretty, mm-hmm. which becomes a refrain in the film, right? So it's a trick. It's a trick in order to get your ideas across in a palpable way to make it make somebody invest emotionally in it, right? Which is the trick Colin is learning, which is the trick Miles taught him by virtue of his salesmanship mm-hmm. was the, the trick of the film, right? So this is something you wanted to do since you were a kid? Yeah, well, wh- what is something? Making this, this movie? Is, no, not making the movie. Mm. Um, y- using this first. Using oh, yeah. music. Um, being yeah, I've been somehow- rapping since I was, you know, 12 or 13 years old. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I've, I've done more of that than mm-hmm. anything else. And, and Raphael and I met, he was running a not met, but when we actually started working together, he was running a, a recording studio in North Oakland, and this is right after I had come back from college. And the reason we're friends is we didn't even really know each other, and some mutual friends had played our music for each other. And I, I went over to his studio one day, and um, and we stayed up all night making music, and that was it. Like we, that's been my main collaborator since that point on. We've done almost everything together. <laughs> this film, but also a ton of web series and plays and, you know, a bunch of albums together. You know, we, it's amazing. It, it really it's amazing he wasn't in Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. You know, what's funny is he, when I, we thought, because we were actually about to make this film once right before mm-hmm. Hamilton started. And then, you know, the... The uh, the uh, the workshop was coming up right before we went off Broadway, and we we're like, well, okay, I'll go. You know, we'll halt talking about this for now. I'll probably be gone for a few months, then I'll come back, and then it was Hamilton. You know, and then uh, two plus years later, um, you know, we're we're starting to have this conversation again. But I moved to New York, Raphael moved to New York because I'm not good at responding to emails. So he oh, was, there's, there's a great reason to do it. You know, so, I'm just not responding. Yeah. Please, people, do not. You know, so he, email David. It would be really wrong. It's just, or do, but just don't expect. That didn't you know. respond to um, But he moved and, and would just hang out in my dressing room. So, like, he was to the point where security knew him, to the point where he could sign <laughs> autographs. People just thought he was in the show, so he might as well have been in it, you know? How does that happen? Because you have clipping, right? You have your own... Uh, you're in this particular world and then mm-hmm. you for whatever reasons you haven't quite described yet <laughs> managed to be in Hamilton on Broadway yeah, yeah. what uh, what are those people that you're coming up with thinking David's going to Broadway well what I, is he doing Mamma Mia it what's going to happen uh, to him it, Broadway for the folks I grew up with we didn't know anything about Broadway mm-hmm. so nobody knew like when words started to get around that I was doing a play on Broadway until it until after it was open and after, it, mm-hmm. you know, really after the Tonys, really after that kind of national attention got drawn on, nobody knew what it was. We didn't care about Broadway growing up. So, like, I had always done plays, and so everyone was just like, oh, Diggs is in New York doing a play, <laughs> I guess, whatever. You know, like, nobody, <laughs> nobody cared. And really, they still don't care that much. Like, it's cool, it's cool to see me on TV and stuff, but, like... <laughs> They, most of them haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. It came to San Francisco, so a lot of folks got to see the show. You mm-hmm. know, not not with me in it, but got to see the show. And now there's like a now the show is touring around and getting into some of these communities that didn't have access to it when it was here. There's a there's even a growing sort of love for the show in a in a more palpable way by people who have seen it. But 
yeah, I don't know. My my friends were unimpressed, pro- at least until awards were happening. Probably it's funny that now. the awards would do it. You know, well, yeah. it's very glitzy. It's all that's you know that that stuff is televised on mainstream right. television, so they're actually seeing it. As are the Grammys. Know, as too. are the Grammys. Yeah. But you're halfway to being an EGOT already. You know that yeah. you've got yeah. a Tony and you've got a Grammy, so you just need what do you need an Oscar now? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. An yeah. An Oscar, Oscar to Emmy, yeah. and my band's up for a for a Hugo. Uh, for the second time now, so I'm tr- I'm trying to egoth. That's, my, <laughs> That's right. Uh, Just add that yeah, and yeah, make try, that happen. Well, That's, you're on Blackish now. Yeah. How did how does that happen? That happened. You know, that was that was sort of Hamilton sprinkles. That was. Uh, Kenya Hamilton Barris. sprinkles. Yeah, I yeah, like that. It's yeah, just this. yeah, we sprinkle it on there. <laughs> uh, Kenya Barris came and saw the show, and and then met with me as while I was still doing the show, and sort of pitched me this idea of Rainbow's brother. I was like, every time I watch your show, I'm Team Rainbow. Like I totally get her. I'm oh, she's like, it's all Tracy Ellis Ross. I understand, Ross to you. Yeah. I understand Rainbow's character in a very fundamental way. Well, Johan is quite the, um, you know, yeah, <laughs> the he's snob. He is. He is. Yeah. A lot of elements of him feel very Bay to me, though. That kind, that particular he's kind bay of at like. At the same time, he's also a little Lafayette. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's 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 a Francophile for sure. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, it was fun. The fun thing about TV that I didn't know until I'd done that, because I'd never done anything episodic, multiple <laughs> episodes of anything, was uh, that that's an interesting conversation between actor and writer that you don't get anywhere else. It's this conversation really? that happens in real time, right? So they gave me, I got the script for the first episode, and mm-hmm. I I read it, and it was cool, and I made I made some choices. And then they, after watching the cuts of that episode, would say, oh... Johan is these things also, and it broadens the character. So the next script I get has more interesting things in it, and then I get to respond to those. And try, you know, my first episode of that, I made some random choice, it, it just for no good reason that I would stand on the couch. I thought, oh yeah, Johan will piss you Dre off. You stand that way. on the couch. It would be a thing that like Dre right. would hate so much. Right. Like, it was really the only reason I wanted to do it. And the writers really zeroed in on that and then started finding more re- ways for Johan to piss Dre off. You know, then they're uh, found. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, this is the first time you've been on the show, so it's great to have you here. It's great. You don't know that we always end in a little bit of song. Do we? We do. We do. Well, see, it doesn't matter to you because it's there. It's in your heart. It's bringing (laughs) forth from whatever it is. Maybe just can you just freestyle something about Oakland that you feel about Oakland now? Oh, my God. Um, maybe I could do something from. I, I gotta find. I gotta figure out a censored version right quick. But we got to uh, You, you know, don't have, have to be censored. Oh yeah. No, you can do it. This you goes want. everywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Okay. Well, we just put out an album, right? The the soundtrack, the first part of a three part soundtrack to this Whoa. film. Another thing folks should know about this film is all of the music in it. There is is Oakland music. Mm-hmm. Almost every there are forty needle drops in the film. Thirty six <laughs> of them are are Oakland music. Um, and then on top of that, we're putting out this music that we're that's brand new, inspired by the film. A couple of the songs are in the film, um, featuring entirely Bay Area artists. Um, wow, it's like the, the blind spotting mixtape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're we're really going in with it. Um, uh, so the last song on the first EP that just came out last mm-hmm. week is called "Something in the Water," and it's a it's a song that's existed for me for a long time. I wrote it a long time ago. Uh, Something in the water. And everything we spit wet, they keep telling me it's something in the water, and I tell them they ain't really seen shit yet. It's something in the water. Born bright, but the light bent brilliant. Bay boys been above the wave, bout business and bank. Since Dre bought the building, I'm feeling myself and numb to the rest. Dumb is a choice when the world go blind and death. Got my ASL cosign. Thank you, Maria. 
Never claimed a gang, but it's dope watching homies twist fingers when I pull up. Stylish. Got my NY stylist. See me on TV in Comme des Garçons. Soon as it wrap, I am back in my Warriors cap on a flight back home. And my home holler, go boy, get it, just please don't forget us. And I sandwiched time trying to get this lettuce. Couldn't stand with my grandmother just as she took her last breath. I was on set doing hella extra. Look at the desert we made. And everybody know it's nowhere else to go. So it's home. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> no, there's so much in that. Dense language. You All know, right, we, people, <laughs> just take that home and do it. <laughs> no, really. There's a whole life story in that one. So that's what yeah. we do. We condense big things into very dense language, and then we can listen to it multiple times and we unpack can. it later. We can. Like you said, the music is what travels. So. <laughs> Thank you. To me. Thank you very Thank much. You. No, it does travel. It does. It travels faster than anything else. 